0: Amen. Go ahead and be seated. What's up, Salt? Hey, guys. Yeah, it, it, my name is Chris. A couple of them shouted it out, but my name's Chris, and uh, wow, I'm getting clapped. This is, oh my gosh. Stop. I mean, do more, but I mean, but stop. I mean, tell me more. Uh, no, thank you guys for real. Uh, it's always a joy to be here. It was already a joy just to sing with you guys. So, Salt, I love you uh, here at City Light Church. If you've never been to this church, just know that we love you uh, we have a heart for the next generation. We want to be a church uh, that lifts up the name and fame of Jesus Christ, not just to old people, but to young people, and uh, we, that's what we're doing here. So um, it, it's a joy to be here tonight, and uh, so we're jumping off uh, with our series, It's called it, it Matters. Uh, Briar kicked it off. Does godliness matter? Yes. Uh, Does singleness matter to God? What does that look like? Travis talked about that last week and really said uh, singleness isn't something to hurry out of. Like This is a season. If you're in it, you can worship God. You can leverage your life for the glory of God. You can uh, trust the Holy Spirit, say, help help me to be self-controlled in this season. So um, where are we going? So where are we going tonight is we're going to be talking about uh, It Matters in our series. We're talking about dating, okay? Uh, How do we uh, glorify and honor God in our dating relationships And uh, maybe you've asked that question, maybe you're dating and you're like, oh no, he's about to drop the hammer on me. Um, Maybe you're thinking about getting into a relationship and this will be a great um, just kind of scripture, what does it have to say kind of moment for you. Um, But I want to talk about what does God have to say about glorifying him in our dating relationships. And uh, just one little confession, this has not been the easiest sermon to prepare um, and you'd be like, "Why You've been in, I look like I've been in ministry a long time. I've been in uh, around college ministry for like 20 years. I have a Bible degree. I love the Bible, but like, guys, it, this is a challenging subject to talk about because guess what? In marriage, you want some marriage verses? Ephesians chapter 5. It tells you about marriage, about Christ in the church and husband and wives and roles and, and how that's an expression of the gospel here on earth is in your marriage, so there's something to say. And then last week, Travis talked about singleness. First Corinthians chapter 7 it has a lot to say, about singleness. I and mean, guess what? There's no exact chapter in your Bible about dating. Have you guys figured that out yet? You're like, so where's the chapter of oh, Leviticus 47? There is no Leviticus 47, so it's not in there, OK? so. What do we do? Well, why is it in the Bible? Well, why is it how to board an airplane in the Bible? It wasn't a thing back then, you know? So uh, they didn't speak to it because it wasn't really a thing in culture. Like most things in the Bible, like in that time, like if you wanted to get married, your mom and dad would get together with other moms and dads and And the Jewish synagogue, and they would kind of pair you up. And it was matched based on social status and religious standing and family lineage. And so uh, that's kind of how people got married. It had very little to do with physical attraction and is my relationship compatible and do our personality traits match up? And none of those things really mattered. It was uh, not that way. And so there's really not a chapter that gives us one verse on the do's and the don'ts or the simple formula for navigating dating relationships. But God in his word does have a lot to say about what, we, what our relationship with him looks like, and then in light of that, how we are actually called to relate to one another. And so there's lots of wisdom that God gives us that can be applied to our dating relationships. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, one thing we know for sure is that Romans chapter 12 is, is, is redefining the definition of worship. So Romans chapter 12 says that in everything that we do, our our lives are to be acts of worship, okay? So it's not just what you do on Sunday or Thursday nights here at SALT, like every area of your life, what you do with your body, uh, the words that you say, the thought life that you have, like all of that is supposed to be in response to God's grace towards us. It's an act of spiritual worship. Romans 12 also says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, no, no. Um, there's gonna be patterns of this world that are shaped by the values of this world, and those are oftentimes in conflict with the kingdom of God. We're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. So if you were to ask 100 people on the uh, street, what is the goal of dating, you may get 100 different answers. Let me give you a few. If I thought people would be honest, I think this was what they would say. To many, I think dating is primarily about me. It's about me. Dating is valuable because it helps me escape loneliness, And boredom I think people would say that dating is valuable because it boosts my social status because I just locked down that cute boo thing and everybody's jealous on the gram you know it's true dating is helpful because it creates a relationship for me to live out my lust and my sexual desires or people say uh, dating is a way to pursue financial status and security Right. The people you're dating are nothing more than their future earning potential. And what matters most in dating is what people can do for you. So that's the narrative that it culture is inviting you constantly. I love that Beth started us by evaluating the kind of the themes of the movies that we um, kind of digest and just kind of showing us how they're um, kind of a little picture of the gospel. They're telling a gospel story. I love that. But uh, I think I could redeem Hallmark movies, but it's hard. You know, what is the salvation for the girl in the small town who's single and can't seem to find someone? Salvation is a guy in a red truck with a nice beard, usually wearing some kind of flannel scarf, and he comes to town and he pursues her and he rescues her from what otherwise would be a lonely, loveless life. Now, if you buy into that narrative, what you've just said is your life cannot be complete unless you get rescued. Which, by the way, the rescue that makes you complete is the one that happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And men, it's telling you a whole nother story. Who are some of the stories that we love to kind of latch on to? James Bond, anybody? Nobody else loves the James Bond series. Okay, Tony Stark, maybe, all right? And what Tony Stark's models to us is if you're the man, right, if you have it all, if you've got the resources, if you've got the status, if you've got the influence, if you've got the thing, right, then you use women, They're a a pathway to simply consume their bodies while avoiding their hearts. You don't take responsibility. You don't make a commitment. You don't tie yourself down. You don't sacrifice selflessly. You just enjoy them as a commodity for your own personal lust and pleasure. That's, That's what media is telling you. And if you're really an awesome dude, you can pull some super legit chicks. That's how you're gonna measure your masculinity. So this is what media is pushing. And I just want to confess to you, like coming here, like not only is this a hard Bible passage. not only is a culture are we confused, but like me personally, I've been on a journey with this whole thing. So I've been married like 15 years, but believe it or not, like I dated before I was a Christian. And guys, I want to confess to you, I did not do it perfectly. I, I entered into relationships primarily for personal gain. That was me, all right? Status, game playing, this is going to make me look better. This is going to lead to life. This is going to deliver me from my loneliness. This is going to be an adventure. This is going to be one more thing that I can sense that I can accomplish. And then I was like the new Christian guy, baby Christian guy, new Christian guy. And by the way, back in the day, they would like give new Christians like a Bible, um, like a manhood book, and a I kiss Dating Goodbye. Did anybody else get that book, I kiss Dating Goodbye? Dude who wrote It's Not Even Christian Anymore, so that was super cool. But... Um, Uh, so don't, don't, don't read it. Um, but (laughs) he wrote, I kiss Christianity goodbye. So that's a bad deal. Um, so, um, so (laughs) anyways, all that to say is like, They were like, oh, you don't know anything about dating. Read this book. And it's like, what about the Bible? Well, they didn't know what to do with that. So so what happened is like, I was kind of the Christian. I'm confessing to you guys, all right? Um, I was the Christian who would like go to things like this and go to church and sing songs and call myself Christian. I was, and I was trying to read my Bible because I just didn't have any character. Like I wasn't ready to lead other people. So I would say I'm a follower of Jesus on Sunday, but then when it got into it, like in that dorm room, I would compromise over and over and over and over again. And I wouldn't worship the Lord with my body and in that relationship. And then by God's grace, God did a new work in me and God shaped me and transformed me and actually began to do dating relationships with a way that I think aligned with God's word. And it led to flourishing and life and joy and freedom. And so that's been my journey. And uh, I wonder where you're at. I wonder where you're at in yours. And um, I wonder where you're sitting here tonight. Maybe you've got stories of compromise in dating relationships. Maybe you're in one tonight and you know it's not centered around Jesus Christ. Maybe you're hoping to get into a relationship, but honestly, after evaluating tonight, maybe it's for all the wrong reasons. I don't know, uh, but I want to just maybe start with this. Why is it that God has called us to not conform to the patterns of this world when it comes to dating? Why are we not taking our cues from Hallmark or Tony Stark? Well, I think one thing, I'm just gonna, you can write this down. This is still in my intro, so just relax. This is all for free. The gospel has made us something new, and he's called us to something new. The gospel has made you something new, and he's called you to something new. So I just want you to know like, what happens in the Bible, there's this pattern. Like, He's going to give you a new identity that's by grace, and then out of that new identity comes a new set of activities. There's a new gospel identity that's for you, and then a new set of activities that we embrace. It says this, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, uh, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come right Jesus says in John chapter 1 that if you've got faith in him you've become a child of God and so Saul students, i just want to remind you that if you've placed your faith in Jesus if you've seen Jesus as the one who created the whole world who knit you together in your mother's womb who stepped out of heaven and into earth and in time and space and, and put on a body that was vulnerable, right? He lowered himself in status. He lived the sinless life that you and I couldn't live. He never lusted. He never lied. He never compromised. And then he went to that Roman cross, not for his sins, but for your sins. And then he, uh, he broke out of that tomb on the third day, defeating death, having paid the penalty of your sin. If you've come to that place and said, I love that Jesus, that Jesus is my only hope for salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins apart from him. Being a better version of me is not going to earn right standing with God. My hope is in him and him alone. Then you're not just a religious kid trying to get better and do your best in this area of your life. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. That old side of you that was dominated by lust, dominated by a lack of self-control, it has been dead and is being put to death, and it will be finally gone in your glorification. You are something altogether new. God has not just forgiven your sins or given you for the hope for eternal life later. He's made you something new. Christian, your status has changed. You're no longer an orphan in God's family, outside of God's family. You're a child of God. You're no longer under the dominion of the flesh with all of its sinful impulses. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are no longer spiritually dead. You have been made alive. You are fundamentally something new. Ephesians chapter two is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It talks about all about the grace of God, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter two, 10, it says this, that you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are something new. You are his workmanship. Now, the gospel hasn't just changed our status for holy God, but he's actually called you to do something new. It's really beautiful. First Corinthians chapter 10, it says this. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, thir- verse 31. Here's what it says. It's, if you want to read all about dating relationships that have the goal of you getting what you want, there is a plethora, okay? But the goal of the gospel is to get you free from living for you and to start to live your life centered around God and his glory, right? He's the one that, you're, that he's actually worth you living for. Like when you say, why would I live for the glory of God and not my glory, my fame and my name and, and my ways and my... because he made you, he saved you, he sought you, he loves you, he's cleansed you. And by the way, Jesus has already promised if you wanna keep trying to live your life, you'll lose your life. The way you'll find your greatest freedom and your greatest joy and your greatest sense of purpose is by serving him. That's what you were designed to do. And so Paul says, listen, in every area of your life, you can live for the glory of God. In singleness and dating and in marriage, you can live for the glory of God. When you're at work and in class and on your phone and at the gym, you can live for the glory of God. Well, how do we do that? Can we ask, how do we actually live for the glory of God in our dating relationships? Well, I'm glad you came tonight, because I've got four, OK? I'd give you a fifth, but I gotta, you guys got to buy my dinner later. OK, here it is, fifth, four it is. All right, God-centered identity and delight, OK? So date with a God-centered identity and delight, all right? How are we going to date? Let me just encourage you that your relationship status in life is going to change. So it's going to change. Some of you here are single. You're going to go dating. You're like, oh, I'm dating. Oh, my goodness. I updated my profile. Oh, my gosh. Uh, status change. Boom, right? And you're going to go back to single. And some of you go from single to dating to married. And if I'm really honest with you guys, some of you guys can going to go from single, dating, married, and divorced. Single, dated, married, widowed. Your relationship status will change. It will change. But I just want you to know that your status value before a holy God will not change, all right? Your primary right standing, your value, your worth is not determined by who you date or your relationship status, but what God has done and who he's made you. So let me just encourage you. I want you to be dating or pursuing dating from a place of delighting in God, all right? Not thirsty and needy. Here's what King David says in Psalms. He says this about his relationship with God. He says, you make known to me the path of life. Anybody else felt like in their life, the Lord has instructed them in wisdom and ways that they would otherwise not have ever done? I'm so thankful he did. I wouldn't know who I am, what to live for, how to look at relationships, conflict, forgiveness, bitterness, parents. You've made known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand, are pleasure's Forevermore. If you know anything about David's story, it's an amazing story. He goes from this guy who's hanging out in a pasture with some sheep. He's the overlooked. He's the youngest brother. He's the little guy with really big buff brothers. Anybody else hate being a little guy that's overlooked or the least successful in the family? That's David. He goes from the pasture to the palace, Okay, He becomes king of Israel. He's the guy. He wins some battles. He loses some battles. He gets married. Relationship looks good. Relationships get messy. He has some kids. Kids try to kill him. It gets messy, right? His whole life is this massive up and down thing. Now, did he love God? Yes. Did he worship God? Yes. But let me just tell you what David taught me. Like, if you balance your joy in your happiness in your status what other people think about you what your boo thing thinks about you what your girlfriend thinks about you or even what your future wife thinks about you man you're gonna be unstable where did david find his joy he found it in the presence of the lord the one thing that never changed in david's life god i'm gonna run to you life's messy i'm running to you my relationship with my boot things messy i'm running to you my joy is found in you so let me just warn you if you start dating Um, and you want to be in a Christian relationship, the temptation is going to be like this. (laughs) Wow, this person affirms me. I no longer need the Father to speak affirmation in my life. Wow, this person loves me. I no longer need to think deeply about the unconditional love. Wow, this person really gets me. I just don't feel like I need God as much because I'm not so lonely as I used to be. And so we do this all the time. Singles, you're going to be tempted to think that your joy and satisfaction and happiness is one relationship away. If you just had that one relationship, you'd be like the girl in the Hallmark movie that was finally satisfied. And if you're in a relationship, the temptation to sin is going to happen to make that an idol, to move that person into the very center of your life and say, you're my girlfriend, you're my boyfriend, your affirmation, your attention, your affection, your love, your words, your looks, they're the thing that give me life and joy. That's going to be the temptation. Here's a good test for us. If we never got another date If your relationship ended today, would you you have lost your functional God or the place that you find your joy? I think the Christian that's secure in the gospel, like David, can say to their boyfriend or girlfriend, the one they're in a dating relationship with, I want to be in a relationship with you if it honors Christ and I do enjoy you, but I do not need you. You can come or you can go, but my joy is rooted in Jesus Christ. If you have him, you have everything, everything that matters. Number two, Date with a God honoring, a God honoring intentions. Now, I don't have a verse for this first part of this verse. Now we're going to get to a verse later, but I don't have a verse for this little part of my rant. So you can edit this out if Travis and Mariah think it's unbiblical. Okay, but I do believe dating should be a process of discovering and discerning: is this the person, the kind of person I want to be uh, married to, and make a covenant? with, okay? So we live in a time where I don't even know how to define dating anymore because you guys don't even use the word dating. You're like, we're talking, we texting, we're just, you know, we're hanging. I don't even know what the words are. I don't know anymore, okay? I'm very confused. Uh, but I would encourage you. I just want to encourage you, like, we should know our intentions in dating. Like, where are we headed? Can I ask you that? Like, it's specifically the men, I'm just calling you out, all right? Man to man, um, you're never going to get married unless you ask somebody, first of all. And so, just so you know, it's a hundred percent chance you're going to have to ask, all right? And let's just, let's just reverse engineer, all right? Let's just reverse engineer. How are we going to get to that moment? Well, you're probably going to need to like, select a girl that actually loves God, that you're attracted to, and you like being around, her, and that at least is willing to tolerate you. And then you're going to have to have this conversation where you're like, ooh, we're talking, we're friends, and we're flirting. And then we start to figure out like we're friends, but one of us wants to get out of the friend zone. Ooh, do we know how that feels? Because I do. Like, ooh, I'm in the friend zone, but I won't want to be in the friend zone, all right? I want to be in the married zone, all right? So I want to be in the, let's have my children's zone, okay? So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I put a ring on it. We have four kids, and she has a minivan. So it is a thing, all right? So, So all that to say is, like, some of you are going to be there. So now what happens, right? So, like, this is what oftentimes dudes do. You're so insecure, you passively flirt until it's so awkward, somebody's got to break the tension. And then you don't know what to do, so you start texting a different girl and flirting around, but what is the intention? Where are we going? So here's the dude. Dudes, I want to invite you. Be courageous, dudes. You like a girl? You're attracted to her? You see godliness into her? State your intentions. Can you get to the point where you're like, I think we're past the friend zone. Like, I just need to tell you, and here's here's, I just want to give you a little practical coaching from Big Brother Chris, all right? Big Brother Chris in the house, all right? Receding hairline allows me to be Big Brother Chris, all right? So let me give you a little. So we used to refine this conversation as the define the relationship conversation, the DTR, okay? We're going DTR. We're going to have the DTR talk, all right? We're going to define the relationship. Now, here's how I had the define the relationship talk with my wife, Kristen. Here's what I said. I said, hey, listen, um, we're friends. I just want you to know, um, I think you're pretty. And, um, I think you have some amazing Christian friends and you love God. And it's pretty clear that he's at the center of your life. And I really appreciate that. Like you're living for the mission of Jesus. Like there's people that you're discipling and that's the kind of person I could see myself doing life with. So here's my ask. Uh, here's my intentions. I want to actually pursue you exclusively. That means I'm not going to text and holler at other girls. Like, you know, let me pursue you. I want to do that. And, um, this means you could go on a date with me and never talk to me again and think I'm super weird. And that's probably 100% on the table as a very real option. Um, we could also go on a couple of dates and you could come to the same conclusion. Um, but um, we could also go on a couple of dates and never stop dating and get married. And so that's an option. And um, let's see what happens. And she said, yes, and we're still dating. And so, um, <laughs> and, uh, so it's been amazing. And so uh, all that to say is, is I want to invite you men to state your intentions. Can I say that? State our intention. Can we state our intentions? So it's not just awkward. What are we doing? Are we friends? Are we more than friends? Where are we going? What, what, where are we trying to take this thing? State your intentions, all right? Can we do that? All right. All the guys are like, I hate him. I hate him because I got to state my intentions, all right? Never bring this guy back, Travis. Never bring him back. All right, here it is. The scriptures actually don't just give us uh, maybe this, in, this intention, but it does give us instruction, all right? So have God-honoring intentions can also be, have God, you know, follow God-honoring instructions. Here it is. I want to just kind of call it out. It's going to state it in the negative and the positive. So I'm going to give you two strip scriptures, all right? Therefore, let us not punch, uh, uh, pass judgment on one another uh, any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of your brother. Romans 14, verse 13. So because we love each other as the people of God, and because you're technically my brother and sisters in Christ, Okay, so before you're ever any kind of romantic interest, you're my brother and sister in Christ. And so I am concerned primarily with protecting your spiritual health. So that means like in a dating relationship, you should be making sure you're not making it harder for that person to follow and walk with Jesus Christ. All right, so they got alcohol problems, we don't drink alcohol around them, okay? Uh, if they got lust issues, we're, we're not gonna have certain posters up. Like whatever that is, we're not gonna make it harder for our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with the Lord. We're going to be considerate. How do I remove any possibility that my relationship with you is going to cause you to stumble, trip over, fall back into sin? We want to be helpful, not a hindrance, okay? Paul says this in maybe a positive way. He's going to say, This is an opportunity for you in a relationship to actually practice the gospel, all right? We don't just experience the gospel, believe the gospel, affirm the gospel, become something new in the gospel. We actually practice the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact, you are doing First or Thessalonians 1, okay? So um, in your relationship, you put this into practice. What he's saying is that don't make it hard to follow Christ in your relationship. Don't, don't be inviting them into a stumbling block, into conversations about envy and gossip, right? Into lust and drinking and compromise. Like, don't do that. Don't send them that photo. Think through that. Don't make your brother and sister stumble. Like you should be pursuing holiness with them. Build each other up, which means encourage them to walk with Christ. Encourage them to pursue Christian community and encourage them to run towards a local church and be around people, right? To hear the word of God preached, like encourage them, build them up to encourage them. literally means to like give them courage to run after God. People get discouraged. People get depressed. People get insecure, Do you know God can use your words, your attentiveness to what God is doing in them to actually give them courage to keep fighting in this battle. Be the voice that gives life to people, doesn't tear them down. And the gospel is gonna tell you all a bunch of one another's, right? Pray with one another, encourage one another, fellowship with one another, eat with one another, honor one another, love one another, serve one another. So we should be practicing these one another's in our dating relationship. It's not like, ah, we just go to church and we're a Christian couple, No, you actually have to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in that relationship. That's what makes you a gospel-centered relationship. So have intentions and follow the instruction of scripture. Number three, date uh, with God-honoring boundaries. Date with God-honoring boundaries. So let let me just, um, I think we just live in a really weird and confusing time. Can I confess that? So um, some of you guys come out of the church world, And uh, you've got church hurt, okay? So uh, some of you guys know about the purity culture that happened. Anybody know about purity culture? Mom and dad sat you down and was like, gave you a pretty ring. And that can be okay. That's not all, all bad. But sometimes taken to the extreme, it can be like sex is bad. And if you've done anything before marriage, you're like damaged goods and you're JV. And it's gonna ruin your sex life forever. And your husband and wife, it's gonna jack it all up and it will be tainted okay? Now, is that true? No, it's a lie. I just want you to know all of your past, present, and future sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, all right? So there's that whole church thing going on, and there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because a lot of people have blown it, okay? Um, So people don't know what to do with all that. Then there's over here, and so like, sometimes the church is saying, you're so bad if you've had sex before marriage, and the culture is saying, you know what? Like, you're so bad if you're not having sex. What's wrong with you? Like, who, what, is, what are you doing? Like, you should be trying to get rid of your virginity, not hold on to it, right? So, what does the Bible actually call us to? Culture is gonna say one thing, there's kind of um, this other culture happening. So, what does the scriptures have to say? It says this It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is a holy and honorable. That is uh, uh, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Okay, he's calling it out. So I love this. He says, You know what the will of God is for you? Before you talk about dating and da- singleness and marriage and all that, you know what? Everybody in this room, you wanna know the will of God? If you're a Christian, you've been justified. That's a one time event where you believed in Jesus Christ. You are made right with God the Father through your faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. You're justified. You are made right. You're declared righteous. Okay, you're forgiven of your sins. That happened one time. Now you're in this really long process called sanctification where God is slowly changing and transforming you into the more of the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. It's the will of God that you would be sanctified. So what does that look like? What do I have to do to be sanctified? I've got to avoid sexual immorality, which Travis talked about this. What is sexual immorality? It's like the Bible's big like umbrella where he just puts like all kinds of sexual sin, sexual immorality, Okay. Like it's just all right underneath this umbrella. And you know what else is underneath there? Premarital sex is there, oral sex is there, heavy petting is there, pornography is there, masturbation is there. It's all right underneath this umbrella, sexual immorality. Avoid it, run from it, okay, flee it. So that each of you should learn to control your own bodies. So what's the alternative? What do you want from us, God? Not to do that, but to be what? Holy and honorable, why? Why does it matter to God what you do with your body? Because Christian, you're supposed to look different than the watching world. Do you know that your purity and your holiness and how you do relationships and how you like actually treat each other as brother and sister, like that should actually help us stand out to the watching world. He says, so that you won't be like the pagans who don't even know God. Like everybody in the culture is getting carried down that stream. Their flesh is their God. They're enslaved to it. Those appetites control them. Do you guys wanna know one of the things that stood out to me as a a non-believer on campus? There were Christians not having sex. I was like, I've never met somebody who's dating who's not trying to have sex. That's not normal. Can we keep that real? Like I came from my high school that there was something wrong with you if you weren't pursuing that. And I was like, wait a second, they really like each other. They have joy and they're not drunk and they have girlfriends, and they're not sleeping with them. I don't get these people. No one else has been amazed by Christian culture. Okay, so (laughs) I was. It really stood out. It really stood out, and it it caused me to question, like, what's at the center of their life that's not at the center of my life? And so his invitation is to be holy, and some of you guys are like, wait a how can you tell me like sex before marriage is wrong? Well, I think Travis touched on this and there's a longer conversation about how God designed sex. God designed us male and female. Uh, he put sex in the covenant of uh, covenant of marriage, which is exclusive permanent covenant before God. And so that's where he's placed it. Um, so, but some of you guys are like, man, how, how can you tell me that like, that's not okay? I love this person. We're planning on getting married. Like, why can't we just enjoy sex now? I'd say, first of all, God just calls it sin. So I just want to say like, I don't get to call the terms. Like, I just want to, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so, um, God is a loving father. He's created you, He's designed life to work in a way that is flourishing, leads to human flourishing, to His glory and your joy. And He would say, "Um, that's that's not how I designed it. But more than just calling it what it is, um, I want to just, I want to encourage you guys. I think God wants to use your dating relationship to actually cultivate this thing called self-control. <laughs> and so, um, if you're saying like, "Man, what's really important to a spouse that I'm going to build my life with?" Like, just picture your life at my age. You got four kids in minivan suburb. I got an eight, seven, five, and three-year-old that really look up to me, love me, love when I walk in the door. They run up to daddy. Um, our house is stable. It's full of life. We have dance parties. We have a basketball hoop in our living room because we're always playing pickup basketball because my kids are gonna be D1 athletes and probably go to the NBA. So I just, I'm super blessed. I'm super blessed. Um, I can't help it that your kids are gonna be clumsy, but my kids are blessed and um, no, but like we just have a super fun, joyful home. And and so, you know, I just picture our life. Like what would happen if one of me and my wife didn't execute self-control? If I go on a speaking trip, and I get lonely in a hotel, and I go down to the bar, and I hook up with somebody, what kind of massive devastation does that do? To my wife? To my kids? How's that narrative in for them? Dad was a preacher, but compromised in the hotel because he was on some tour, speaking and telling everybody else about God. Blew up his life. What happens? What wounds? What, what stuff happens there? So let me just encourage you. (laughs) What you want right now in a spouse might be a fun, exciting, exhilarating person. You might be attracted to how athletic or how smart, how charming, how cute, whatever. You know what you want when you're 40? Faithful and self-control. Loyal, godly, restrained, pure, holy. That's what you want. Right now, you're looking for somebody who's cute and athletic and fun and comes from a good family and they got a lake house. Don't care, don't care. You know what, our family is blessed because God used the season of our life to help us practice self-control. And now that thing is actually protecting the very covenant that we have. I'm just gonna straight up tell you, you're an absolute fool if you're with somebody who has never shown you that they are willing to practice self-control. They're showing you who you are and you should probably believe it. I'm just trying to encourage you. I know you might not like me. I'm trying to keep you from blowing up your life in about 10 years. We got to practice self-control. You got to run from this stuff. And so if they're leading you into sin, if they're flirting with sin, if they're okay with sin, if, if, if there's no actual boundaries in your relationship, man, you're setting yourself up for harm. So here's my encouragement to you students. You're gonna have, when you're dating, you're gonna have to talk about your boundaries, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Uh, For me and my wife, we set those boundaries early in our relationship. We wanted to honor Jesus. To be honest with you guys, I've done it the wrong way. I've done it the wrong way. And at some point in my life, I said, Jesus, I wanna do it your ways because doing it my ways hasn't worked. And so I just said, hey, there's certain things we're not gonna do. And so um, for me, we set all kinds of boundaries. We said, hey, listen, we're not gonna cross these certain lines. So did I kiss my wife? Yes. We crossed lines and that was where it was it. That was it. And so we knew that we weren't gonna hang out alone. We knew we couldn't close doors. Uh, we knew we wanted to honor Jesus in our, our relationship. And those were like guardrails to try to keep us from sin. Guys, one of the most testing times of my life spiritually was I was engaged to my wife. I loved my wife. We had honored the Lord. Um, we were engaged, so we weren't yet married. And I remember, it was like midnight. And I lived in the house with like eight dudes because I was a brand new missionary. And when you're, when you're doing ministry at like 23 years old, your net worth is like negative $70,000 and you make 14 bucks a month and you eat burritos. And so I literally have a, I was literally sleeping in a basement with, that wasn't even like a finish. And I had a bunk bed and I was sleeping a guy named Aaron. He only showered on Saturday nights, okay? So dude smelled like hot butt. And I'm looking at my life like, this is my future wife. She's, she's over here. We were hanging out at her house. It's like midnight. I'm like, okay, I got to go home. I gotta. It's like freezing cold. So it's like one of those nights where you're going to get in your car. And I'm like, I do not want to get in my cold car. You know what I want to do? I want to stay right here in this house, right here with my person who's going to be my wife in like a month. I don't want to go sleep next to Aaron because he smells like hot butt. And my wife smells way nicer than that. And so I don't want to do this. And I just remember like walking to my car as a spiritual act of obedience. And I just want to say men and women, that's, it's not always fun. It's super painful. And yet I think Jesus Christ is worth it. You're going to have to take those steps to the car, right? Uh, date, Date with God honoring wisdom. So one of the questions you might be asking is like, is like, who do I date? Like, what should I be looking for? Again, um, what what is, like, I think the world would say, like, get the hottest person, or get the person with the powerful family, or get with the person whose earning potential is the highest, or just, like, get with the person who makes you feel happy and affirmed and, like, loves you even when you're in your fat pants, like, I, whatever. So, um, but, like, I think the Bible gives us a different lens for, like, selecting those who that we date, and and so I just want to say, like, in my personal life, like, Jesus is my first love, and I'm, I'm not just saying that, like, I truly love Jesus, and um, and so what that means for me is that, like every area of my life now is starting to be impacted by King Jesus. I, I don't know if Jesus has gotten to that point in your life, but like with my parenting, um, my my desire for my kids isn't that they would just be athletic. Like my kid I'm, my primary prayer for my kids is like, would you see your sin? Would you repent? Would you trust in Jesus? Would you love His word? Would you jump into his mission? Would you experience fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Would you love his church? Like I'm praying those kind of prayers for my kids. Right? And I look at my finances. Like, we as a family have oriented our marriage around generosity because we believe the gospel like, is about a generous God. And so we give 10% of our earnings right away off the top to the people of God, to the things of God. And then there's all this other stuff that we do. We're like, ah, we're just going to have college kids over. Uh, I have a rental property, I have a, a woman with a domestic violence past. She can't pay full rent, she's in one of our properties. I got another property. Guess what else? We got a woman who's a widow who can't pay their bill. We're gonna let her have one property. So like every area of our life is financially gonna be rooted around this thing because I'm a steward, right? So my neighbors, I don't wanna just drink beer and hang out with them. I wanna, I wanna be on mission to see Jesus doing work in their life. Like what I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to reverse engineer and show you that like almost every area of my life now is rooted around what God would have to say about that area of my life. And so if I didn't have a wife who was running in the same direction uh, as, as Jesus and, his, and aligned her life with the word of God, we'd be in constant conflict. The only way that we can be generous, the only way we can be on mission, and the only way that we can be aligned with our kids, and the only way we can be in this thing called the mission of God and planting churches and leveraging our life, like, is because we're aligned on those things. And so the scriptures are going to say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. You might be familiar with this passage. He says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So the Apostle Paul might not be thinking exclusively of marriage when he penned these words. Uh, But that doesn't mean that the principle doesn't apply to us. To be unequally yoked or be yoked is literally kind of a farming illustration, right? So they've got these two oxen. They're pulling in the same direction, the plow. And the yoke would be like this kind of wood-shaped thing that was over the backs of them. So if you're unequally yoked, if you've got a ginormous strong oxen pulling in one direction and you got a little baby oxen, little legs, no back, he's not, he can't keep up. It's gonna be a bad situation, all right? If you've got one oxen that always wants to go right and the other one always wants to go left, like it's not gonna be a good situation. They, they need to be going in the same speed, in the same direction, and that's what uh, Paul is trying to warn the church. Like don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. It's not going to go well for you. So here's my invitation. If you're a Christian, um, should you be dating a non-believer? I can't say it's a hard and fast rule, but I can say it's unwise. And pastorally being in the ministry 20, now 20 years, like I can tell you that I have lots of people in my office and maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, they're gonna accept Christ later and they're gonna change and I'm gonna pray for him and there's gonna be, he could, but there's a whole bunch of relationships that are really strained because they didn't, they didn't pursue somebody that was equally yoked. And so what about a Christian? If you're there and you're dating a Christian or you're considering dating a Christian, what should I be asking, all right? I wanna give you four questions to ask about about this kind of a person. Who should I be dating, all right? First one is this. What's this person's relationship to God and God's word? So do they have a hunger for God? Do they have a hunger for his word? Do they know God's word? Do they study God's word? Do they apply God's word? And do they obey God's word? I just wanna tell you, like, the word of God will align your life with your spouse. And if you can get to a place where you're like, whatever the word of God says about a topic or an issue or a subject, we are going to yield our lives in submission to God's word. Because what's what? We're not sitting over this Bible criticizing it, we're sitting under it. This is the word of King Jesus and he's authoritative in our life. And so whatever's here is whatever wins. I, would lo- I love, that has been a tremendous value. So what is this person's relationship to God and God's word? What is this person's relationship to God's people? Do they have Christian friends, Christian community? Do they have friends they confess sin, pray with? Do they practice or do they participate in a local church? Do they serve God's people? Do they prioritize worshiping God on Sunday? Or do they just say that they're Christian, check a box, but they don't actually have any love and affection for God's people? You're gonna end up around the people that are in their circle and their circle are gonna impact who you will become. Number three, this is a person. Uh, is this what's this person's relationship to sin? So, what's this person's relationship to sin? Uh, do they fight it? I just want you to know, there's going to be no perfect person. Okay, everybody. There's only been one perfect person in human history. His name is Jesus. Everybody else needs to repent and believe in him. But you're looking for a pattern. Does this person fight sin? Do they flee from sin? Do they repent of sin? Do they confess sin, or do they hide sin? Do they minimize their sin? Do they blame their sin on someone else? Do they kind of just say, ah, oh, it's okay. It's always been a part of my life. It will always be there. You're not looking for someone perfect. You are looking for someone willing to fight and make progress in areas to honor King Jesus. What's this person, lastly, what's this person's relationship with me like? Has their friendship been life-giving or life-taking? Do they want God's best for me or are they inviting me to something less? Do they try to control me and manipulate me? Do they need me and cut me down or are they life-gifting? So here's my encourage to you. Um I would encourage you as you think about who should I be in a relationship with to focus on character. Proverbs 31, we might know about it, talks about a woman, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, okay? Uh, If you look about the requirements for leadership in the local church, they're pretty much all about character. Not a drunkard, not uh, uh, not somebody who's quick to fight, quick to anger, husband of one wife, somebody who's steadfast, that's the kind of thing. You're looking for character, I promise you. If, I don't know if you guys have been to a retirement home. It's really sobering. So some of you guys are making decisions on really short-term decisions, but I've been to a nursing home. I go there every once in a while to preach. It's super sobering. Let me just tell you, I'm sure some of these guys were super buff. Right now, they're in like flannel pants and diapers, and that, that's, how, that's, how, that's where this is heading. And so at the end of the day, what you're really getting when you get into a relationship with somebody is like their Christ-like character. Like, do they, are they gonna lean into God or are they gonna lean away from him? Like, that's what you're getting. I promise you all the other surface stuff, man, it melts away. It melts away. And uh, I'm losing my hair and my love handles are super, they're here to stay at this point. They're not leaving, okay? And they're invading and um, it's not, it's not good. The dad bod is coming in strong. Um, but I'm so thankful right now. The covenant is made, made so she can't leave, but, um, you know. But at the end of the day, I think, I think she's celebrating because um, my, my wife and I are blessed because Christ has shaped and transformed us and we're aligned to the word. So that's my encouragement. I love you guys. Uh, I just don't want there to be any guilt and shame. If you've blown it sexually, if you've compromised, if you're not leading well, I just want you to know, you can stand forgiven in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. But there is a desire in my heart tonight to preach this with an urgency because I want wisdom to triumph in your life. Um, This isn't to be messed with, you know, the decisions you make in this season of your life, they have impacts and ripples for your whole life. And outside of your relationship with Christ, who you decide to marry and the relationships you choose to cultivate, they will have the most profound and most significant impact on your life, your children and your grandchildren. So it matters who you marry, it matters who you date, it matters who you select, it matters who you become. Let me pray. So God, I wanna simply say thank you for your word and thank you for God, your instruction in this area of our lives. Um, gotta pray for each one of these students, whether they're called to be single, whether you've called them uh, into a dating relationship, whether you've called them at some point into marriage. I don't know all those things. I do wanna pray for your will to be done on their lives. I know that there's students in here right now, they are being tempted to compromise and settle for an ungodly relationship. Someone who probably will not lead them into righteousness. I just wanna pray, God, would you give them the courage to wait on your timing to not compromise, to stand firm, to say that you're enough. God, I just wanna pray right now for somebody in this room. I just know there's people with guilt, their story, they've compromised along the way and they're beating themselves up. God, I pray that the gospel would land on them. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you know you're forgiven and you're loved and you're not JV? That your worst is covered by Christ's best? There's some in this room and they've just came out of broken homes and moms and dads and they blew up their lives and it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And they're mad and it's messy and they're wondering, do I have what it takes? Because dad didn't have what it takes. Mom messed it up. Is there any hope for me in my marriage? Am I just going to be another broken chain? I just want to pray right now that they would know that whatever God has started in them, he can finish in them. There are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that God can sustain you and write a new chapter over your life and your story. So God, I pray for confidence, courage, faith, not fear. God, would you be near? We pray in Jesus' name.